Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations in Global Health, a podcast led by three students from King's College London and sponsored by Circle U. We seek to bring awareness to the pressing global health issues of today in an accessible manner by engaging in important conversations with field experts offering insights into their fascinating work. We're so glad you could join us for today's episode, Movement in Mind, the relationship between physical and mental health. Today's episode is hosted by Chloe. Hello and welcome. My name is Chloe and I'm the host for today's episode. Today I'm joined by Dr. Brendan Stubbs. He's a clinical academic physiotherapist from King's College London. So thanks for joining us today, Brendan. Thank you, Chloe, for the invitation. I'm genuinely really pleased to be here to talk with you today about all things movement and mental health. I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. I'm sure our listeners will be too. First question I have for you is, first of all, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work in this area and specifically in mental health and what were your motivations for for doing that? Yeah, sure. Um, So the short and honest answer, Chloe, is that it was all a complete accident and fluke. And most of my uh, decisions and not decisions, but where I've ended up has just been, you know, just uh, right place, right time although it may not have looked like that at the right time. So I, I can't honestly sit here and say, I, from, the era of, from the age of 11, I dreamt about being someone who helped people with mental health conditions. And it was a big calling to me because that would be untrue. Um, what kind of happened was I did my physiotherapy training and physio, physiotherapists, um, when I did my training um, 20 plus years ago, we were excellent at looking at the physical body and how it moves and the anatomy and the physiology and helping people breathe and move, etc. But we didn't learn much, if anything, about psychology and, and mental health. And I left university and was not really that particularly interested in many of the core areas that physios typically work in. And then I, my mum was the head of a pharmacy department at a psychiatric hospital and said to me, Brendan, will you go and talk to the head of physio at the psychiatric hospital? So I just, to keep my mum happy, went along to go and speak to this head of physio. And then she kind of offered me a job at that time. And that was a highly unusual move for a, a newly qualified physio to go and work in a mental health setting. And, and that started my journey, really. And I was just really interested and fascinated in mental health, the body. Um, you know, I never really understood the concept as a physiotherapist of just looking at a knee or just looking at a hip or just looking at someone who's having you know, breathing difficulties and thinking about their lungs. So it, it really made a lot of sense to me when you considered the whole person and their psychological and social construct and that started me on my journey uh, in that particular area and then later on I became interested in research and then yeah that's kind of how my journey ended up really just a number of coincidences like that. Sounds sounds really interesting and I think that you're making a good point when you're saying that like there is an important link between like mental health and physical health and that kind of brings us on to our next question so like working in this field what would you say are the main links between mental and physical health and how like poor physical health can affect the body and uh, and and the mental health and vice versa yeah well um you know the overwhelming evidence suggests you know unsurprisingly that you know body and mind are connected um and we can't just consider one without the other um i mean i've had uh 
you know, I'll give you an example, and this is probably a bit more of a, a grey example. If we can have it, I've I've recently had a bout of pain, um, you know, and 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 after a physical injury in terms of some torn ligaments and stuff. So it is a physical injury, but it really didn't make me very happy. It was it was painful. It was sore. It was stiff. So unsurprisingly, I did not feel great um, as a result of that. And that's pretty mild in terms of both physical injury and both how it made me feel. But if you substantiate that to something more, I don't know if I had a, a road traffic accident or I had a stroke, for instance, and I all of a sudden had some profound physical challenges that limited my ability to do things. It's unsurprising that that would challenge my mental health or that would make you know life more difficult for me if I couldn't move, couldn't do my activities, daily living, couldn't fulfill my sort of social connections, was had difficulty at work, difficulty sleeping, difficulty in relationships. You know, it's unsurprising from this physical, you know, injury or something that a mental health burden is is, is compromised. You know, conversely, if we look at the other side of the coin, although it should you know be looked at a whole coin, um, we know from lots of research that um, people who have a mental health diagnosis too are much more likely to have many different types of physical health conditions compared to people of similar age and gender without a mental health condition. And not only that, we tend to see this what we call diagnostic overshadowing. So that if you do have a mental health condition and say you have cardiovascular disease, um, not only are you more likely to, uh, you know, develop cardiovascular disease, you're more likely to, you know, die from it. You're less likely to get the treatment too, compared to someone who doesn't have that diagnosis. So it's a very complex multifactorial relationship, but they cannot be separated. Um, you know, and I really believe that the body can change its mind. Yeah, absolutely. And you, it sounds like you've done a lot of research and a lot of work on it. I know that you you did some work on the use of physical activity for severe mental illness. So would you like to tell us like a little bit about that and what you found with that? Sure. So um, it's always it's always, you know, first and foremost, it's always struck me. I've had the privilege of working on mental health units and people with a, you know, a, a quote unquote diagnosis of severe mental illness for almost 20 years that um, the, the traditional model of care has primarily, you know, and, you know, it's very good, you know, it is very helpful for people, has traditionally been providing people with medication and those have improved over time in terms of helping people with their symptoms and helping people, you know, with less side effects, but different side effects and psychological therapy. And those are really, really important. But what's really struck me and things are improving is that lifestyle, um, yeah, interventions and by that what do I mean so I mean things such as uh, you know increasing physical activity providing people options to go out to go for a walk to connect with nature um, to you know eat good nutritious food has been given less of uh, a priority thankfully that is shifting and that has shifted over time which is great because there's good evidence that you know just those two things and add sleep into that and add other factors such as you know tobacco smoking are in their own right um, associated with inequalities um, and also a range of physical health conditions and worse mental health too so these are issues that need to be addressed um, and we and many others have been doing and developing interventions to try and help people 
with severe mental illness and staff to support them to become more active. So we've done lots of pieces to look at that. And we've done interventions in uh, people who are in secure mental health units among acute inpatient units to become more active. Um, we have also, we're doing a big program grant at the moment, looking at people with a diagnosis of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, who are typically socially isolated not very active and we're developing we're co-developing an intervention so it's not just people who are professionals uh, you know coming up and what we think's best and this has been co-developed by people with lived experience by their carers to say you know what could work from the ground up um, and we're looking to start and trial that soon um, we've written guidelines with influential organizations such as European Psychiatric Association, not based on what we think is important, but based on the evidence to say that you know, this should be offered as a routine part of um, you know, an option for people's health and well-being. I was just wondering just what you said there about the interventions. What would be like typical, maybe like an example of the sort of interventions that you are developing? So one example which we did locally, which was really nice, um, very, uh, very sort of quite simple, but quite effective, was an intervention called Walk This Way. Um, and it was a feasibility randomised control trial with people in South London um, who were randomised to continue to people with schizophrenia bipolar disorder who were living in the local community and who were uh, invited to um, take part in the study and they were either randomized to control to carry on with usual care or to take part in the intervention and the intervention what it involved was uh, a, you know a group educational interactive session about the benefits of movement how to address common barriers and facilitators um, and people would share examples of sometimes they'd gone over that we'd give people wearable technology um, such as pedometers or fitbits to say you know it, you know this is quite good for you know to monitor how active you're doing you know here are some good sort of targets to potentially aim towards not universal targets but bespoke such as trying to increase what you're doing by five percent you know a week on average or ten percent and then people were invited to a weekly walking group where people who were often isolated were part of this weekly walking group and then had the other part of the intervention was had a one-on-one -on -one health coaching um session with um, a, a therapist or a, a health coach, just to talk about how their um, how their how their activity levels had been, any challenges they'd faced, and helping them come up with their own solutions to become more active and celebrating successes too. And that was an example of a, a you know a quite nice intervention which showed you know really great promise and we're hoping to build on in the near future. Yeah, it sounds really nice. It's hard to have people involved in that way. Now, obviously, when you're doing these interventions, there are barriers and facilitators. And I was just wondering, from someone who works in that field, what would you say are some of the barriers and facilitators to using these kind of interventions and approaches? And what do you think has to happen for these to be overcome? Yeah, it's a big question, Chloe, and I, and I wish I had the, the I wish I had the answer and the resources to to do that. But there's a there's a few things that I think that need to be addressed so i think from my experience and from spending lots of time with people and knowing people in my own personal life with serious mental illness is there are a number of social environmental 
you know determinants which make it much more difficult for people with you know schizophrenia for instance to you know acts you know engage in active lifestyles engage into the you know the gym or engage in like walking you know like walking groups or exercise groups in the community and if your illness um may you know may manifest itself in thinking as an example that people are perhaps you know looking at you or people are perhaps not thinking very nice things of you that can be quite intimidating going into a group and say for me for instance I don't have a severe mental illness but even you know if I went into a new exercise group for instance you know you can feel like oh my gosh I don't know what I'm doing and everybody knows what they're doing but this is much more compounded for people with serious mental illness and 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 you know the cost of many of these things and the societal issues and the barriers and access you know is a huge major issue too and I think we need to be much more inclusive um, not at that level but also a societal level because there is you know there is stigma amongst this uh, you know population too um, and that's a big massive uh, factor in its, in its own right and then I think there are uh, you know a delivery and trainer um, you know and, and facilitator level issues so people who are doing these interventions whether it be people in gyms in football clubs and yoga classes I think we, you know or walking groups I think we need much more training about inclusivity for this population um, I think we need much more uh, you know you know opportunities much more reduction sort of you know financial uh, abilities to access these just to increase awareness and make people feel much much more welcome and to reduce the barrier of entry to people. And then I think, um, you know, above these big societal issues and determinants, above these delivery level, uh, you know, entry level factors, you know, then I think, uh, uh, you know, a sort of a clinical care, healthcare level, I think this is improving, but I think we need much more improve, we need much more training and education of staff and investment and, joined up working to help healthcare and social care staff to identify and prioritize you know physical activity living healthy lifestyle interventions as an option so that people are aware of the evidence and know where to point people to and it is a priority and they can refer people on to relevant services and have a positive experience and it features in people's routine clinical care and then you know lastly at an individual level there are a number of uh, you know you know factors amongst people's you know illness which I touch upon earlier. Um, you know people may have you know you know symptoms of anxiety, paranoia, not feel great, have low motivation, um, and um, you know some of the side effects of some of the medication can make it um, more challenging to uh, engage in physical activity too. Um, and um, those are some of the individual factors which we can help address in sort of clinical and healthcare services and in the sort of community delivery of physical activity interventions with appropriate training. So that's a broad overview. Well, thanks very much. As you said, it is a big question and it's quite a complex question to answer. So I think you, did, you did very much did it justice. So thank you for that. This next question is a bit of a change of topic i suppose in one way and obviously the covid-19 pandemic is is still ongoing and it's it's quite it's it, it shapes a lot of the discussions we have around health and mental health and it just seems appropriate to bring it up and its impact so i think during lockdown um, we can all agree there was a big focus on staying active and 
do you think that activity levels and people's like the amount of people exercise had an effect on people's mental health during lockdowns yeah um so you know you're you're, you're right you know this covid um covid lock you know covid and the lockdowns was a very difficult time for most people for lots of complex reasons um and you know it's no coincidence that one of uh, you know only a tiny handful of things that we were able to do on a daily basis was to be able to go out and do a bit of exercise you know that's not you know, it's not by chance, that's because, you know, the government and people recognise that this is a really important, you know, public health measure. Um, so what data has shown that many other people have published and we've done a bit on is showing that people's physical activity levels did increase during the COVID-19 pandemic and those people who were more active did naturally start to feel better. Most of this is, is observational data, you know, a lot of cross-sectional data. Um, you know, so I've seen a lot of people just taking surveys at one snapshot of time and, um, you know, I think there's there's quite a lot of not very good research out there, but there is some you know semi good research and um, some better research, which does indicate activity levels did increase and this was associated with improved mental health. Um, so I think it has a really important role to play to helping us feel healthy and happier during these really difficult times. Yeah, hopefully, with more time that passes, we'll get more improved research on it. Thanks for answering that. What do you think are some overall important take-home messages on the relationship between physical and mental health? And what would is one thing that you could recommend people can do to kind of foster a good relationship between physical and mental health? I'm going to give you a biased answer um, because of my natural focus and and in other areas. But first and foremost, I will say is that you know we've recognised for a long period of time that mind and body, you know, are completely inseparable. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, what we've talked about, you know, good mental health fosters, good physical health, etc. You know, and the, the inaugural um, chief medical officer of the World Health Organization back in the 50s said, you know, there is no health without mental health, you know, and still we are here trying to, you know, really champion the importance of, of, of having mental health up there with physical health on power of equity, but it really is such an integral relationship. And looking after both of your mind and body is absolutely essential. And I think you've got to find what works for you. And I am going to give you a biased answer, but I think it's an answer which is, uh, which is backed by evidence. And I don't think there are many other um, encompassing um, interventions or activities that you can do that look after your physical health, your psychological health, your mental health, your social health, than, than moving, you know, and, and physical activity. And we define physical activity not by structured exercise, which is a word that can put a lot of people off and people may think about PE and bad experience. But when we're talking about physical activity, we're talking about any bodily movement that increases energy expenditure. So that could be, I don't know, it could be going out for a walk with your friends, it could be, you know, enjoying working, you know, doing something in your garden, you know, an allotment, it could be dancing, you know, it could be doing some structured exercise such as yoga, Pilates, running, you know, something like that. And, 
when you look at the fact that you can do this with the benefits of being in, in, indoors or even better outdoors in the green or blue space, you can do it as part of a group. And we know how the important of social connection is, if that, if that appeals to you. There's heaps of evidence that it's very good for your physical health, for the prevention and management of physical health care conditions. And now there's really good evidence that it can help um, improve your mental health and prevent mental ill health um, and improve mental health. And I, I think it's just a really good way to find a movement that you enjoy and then you're much more likely to do it and experience looking after your mind, brain and body. I think you make a really good point there when you say that. And there's a lot more than people might initially consider that they can do. And it is it is really important to kind of find something, as you said, that works for you. Um, this is our last question. It's it's hopefully hopefully an easier question, but um. Do you have a favorite sport or activity? I do. I, I do. Um, I, well, I, I do. So I'll try and keep this brief, but I, I really, um, I really like playing tennis, but I'm not very good at it, but racket sports more generally. But at the moment I'm enjoying running um, and uh, I'm not a natural runner, but I'm training for a marathon and, and that, I'm enjoying doing that. It's quite good fun best of luck with the marathon thank you hope it goes well that's all the questions so thanks for joining me brendan today's discussion it was very interesting very informative i learned a lot that i wouldn't initially have known myself and hopefully everyone who's listening can agree with that if anyone is interested in finding out any more information i'll have linked some in the episode's description so i just wanted to say thank you it's been it's been great talking with you great talking to you too thank you everyone for listening thank you Thank you for tuning into this episode of Conversations in Global Health. We hope it gave you an insight into the world of global health and that it inspired you to become inquisitive about these concepts and issues like it did for us. Be sure to tune into the next episode, Human-Centered Approaches to Adolescent Perinatal Health, The Catalyst and Inspire Projects. Until then, take care and stay well.